This is how we overcome the movement now. Here we come, reaching to the world with arms open, arms open, yeah. This is how we Welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Steve. I'm Sarah. And we are at the moment missing our third friend around the microphone, but we are hopeful she'll be able to join us. Uh, Real human beings sometimes have to take real phone calls. And so our real colleague, uh, Erica, is in the midst of a phone call as we are recording. But we are coming to the end of our series. We've been looking at all Eastertide about what gives life. We have ranged from the kind of obvious Jesus, you know, the risen Jesus gives us life to more nuanced churchy kinds of things like how we deal with burnout or how we care for creation. Last time we uh, had some conversation about life in community. uh, And we're now at the last conversation in this series before we run out of Eastertide. Uh, Where should we go today, Sarah? So first and foremost, just because the series is ending doesn't mean that there aren't other ways that you can find something life-giving. Fair enough. Like, just because we didn't specifically talk about it doesn't mean that it can't give you life. I like to imagine that this podcast is like a charcuterie board, where it's just like a little nibble of a few things, but there's other delicious things out there. Yep. Yep. What What delicious things should we talk about today? The Holy Spirit! Hooray! We are just days away from one of my favorite church holidays, which is Pentecost. Hooray! Hooray! Which is all about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit gives us gifts. Mm -hmm. Don't you just love it when somebody gives you gifts and it's like impossible to give a gift back? Mm -hmm. And how those gifts help equip us to do God's work in the world. Oh, maybe that's the gift we give back. Oh, I, so I, just, like, I just figured it out. I just It's like it a out pay it forward thing. It's like God doesn't need it, but like God, the people God loves in the world need it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm, just made that connection. Sometimes it takes a podcast, right? Sometimes. A, spirit, a spiritual charcuterie board. If if I was given a dollar for every time I kind of vaguely referenced our podcast in my sermons, I would be very rich. Oh, that's good to know. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Those imaginary royalties are going to be coming in anytime now. <laughs> so yep. the, the, the connection with Pentecost isn't just our church nerdery. Sometimes people talk about Pentecost as the birthday of the church or the moon of the creation that instead of having a ragtag band of former disciples, fishermen and tax collectors, now a new thing happens that is connected to the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. So in that sense, it's about the Spirit giving life to this new community. Um, yeah. We've also... For a very, very, very long time, we Christians talked about the Holy Spirit as the giver of life. Like in the language of the Nicene and Constantinopolitan Creed, we say we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from, we will debate later on about just the Father or the Father and the Son. But that idea that the Spirit is also even there at creation in the beginning of everything, brooding over the waters of chaos in the beginning, giving life, and that the Spirit's breath is that recurring image throughout Scripture, giving life to individuals, so the dry bones for Ezekiel, to every living thing that has breath comes from the Spirit and us as church. So that's a maybe rich biblical or theological place to talk about the Holy Spirit yeah. giving life. I guess I, guess I want to ask, like, do you think when the, you know, the folks gather around the table at the Council of Nicaea, when they were done punching out heretics like Arius, when they got around to saying the Holy Spirit is the giver of life, is that a way of just saying when we're born, the Holy Spirit's in there in the mix too? Or is there, is there something more about life that we have in mind by the Holy Spirit? 
These are all very excellent <laughs> questions. And I'm going to give an answer that might be heretical. I don't know. I've be been fun. graduated from seminary for a while at this point, and like, eh, okay, I'm just I'm just winging it some days, yeah, you know. That's all. That's all we ever do, right? We're Indiana right, Jones right. in this thing, right? So, like, as you were talking about earlier, that 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 idea of God breathing into mm-hmm. us, giving mm-hmm. us life, right? Yeah. Um, one of the Hebrew words used is ruah. And I only remember this Hebrew word because in my college, there was a woodwind praise band who used that. That was the name of the band. It was ruah because it was Hebrew for breath. Like, awesome. Yeah. We're very cool people. Right. Yeah. So, um, but, but like, it's, 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 it's that image of God breathing into the first people in the creation stories. Yeah. It's, you know, like you said, dry bones and Ezekiel. And it's, it's that idea of um, when you come into the world, when you are born as an mm-hmm. itty bitty little baby, there is that moment when your nose and your mouth is wiped clean, sucked out all the stuff, and you take your actual first mm-hmm. breath into mm-hmm. the world. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's a pretty awesome moment. For those yeah. of you who have been privileged to witness one of those moments, it's so powerful because it's that moment that a baby first takes its breath and breathes on its own but that first breath like it's it that it, it's such a beautiful moment thinking about god did that yeah, yeah right yeah. like we could not have created this itty little tiny little bit of baby whether it's a human baby a cat baby a dog baby a horse baby whatever kind of baby it is mm-hmm. we couldn't do it on our own yeah, god has yeah. had a hand in that creation yeah. And has helped formed you and knows you and has breathed life into you. And so therefore you are alive. It's funny. You mentioned that the, the storytelling in Genesis two, where that image of breath and God breathing in and, and how that the, the breath and becoming and coming to life are so closely equated there. How in, in the Genesis two storytelling, uh, you know, God takes the lump of earth or dirt or whatever. And the, the text says God breathed into uh, into his nostrils, the breath of life, and he became a living being, a nefesh in the Hebrew, right? That like, that it's, it's breathing that sort of qualifies. Yeah, you're alive because you're breathing. Um, and so, yeah, there's definitely that sense of that the spirit of God is that intimately connected presence by which we come to life. And this is probably clearer in other, in other languages where the word for breath and spirit are more obviously related, but like you can catch it in some English words, like, inspired you know to breathe into comes from the same root for wind or spirit and, and breath that those are all all related um i guess i wonder whether oh go ahead uh so just a little bit ways down in that story yeah. yes. eve gives birth three times yeah. to yeah. three different sons mm-hmm. and each time she praises god and says look at this thing that we have done together god yeah. you and me yeah. <laughs> we yeah. have done this thing we have brought forth a new man yeah you and me god yeah like, yeah how great we are like right. adam gets no credit right. for right, right. participating right. in the creation of new people uh eve is very much like i have become a co-creator with god yeah 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 okay you adam you did nothing did- god and i did this thing together and did you ever that's great 
Did you ever read Mark Twain's Diary of, Ad- of Adam and Eve? No. So one of the delightful satirical pieces he wrote at one point in his life was these imaginary diaries that Adam and Eve would have kept. And when he gets to the arrival of the kids, Adam's been off hunting, and he comes back and he goes, she trapped a cub while I was out hunting, and here she caught it. She think, he thinks they're cubs of some kind. And like she doesn't like explain how these kids came along. And, and there's another part later where it's like, I was out hunting again. I come back, she caught another one. I don't even know how she does it. She keeps getting <laughs> these little hairless cubs. But it, I, I love that sort of delightful, even in Mark Twain's time, that sort of ability to play with the text and also to lift exactly what you mentioned, that Eve sort of recognizes, well, I did some labor. God's a part of this. I'm not giving Adam much credit here because he probably thought this was a hairless cub, <laughs> but yep, didn't do a whole lot there those yeah, nine months. Yeah. That that also met, raises another piece that it is probably worth saying out loud uh, to folks who have not had the chance to, to learn ancient languages. That that word you mentioned earlier, ruach, for the Holy Spirit in Hebrew is a feminine noun, um, and in the Greek, the word uh, for spirit pneuma is neuter, which is there's a third gendering in in Greek that's neither male nor female, but like that there's this sense of the the femininity or the the at least in the language uh the the spirit if you were an ancient hebrew speaker and you were talking about the breath of god or the spirit of god the way you talk about that is a she rather than a he or an it in hebrew and that that's the most natural thing in the world to hebrew it's uh english ears that are used to other translations that get uh maybe uh, rankled about that yeah yeah pronouns for god is such a tricky thing Mm-hmm. Because most English traditions, like in the U.S., yeah. mm-hmm. have hyper-focused on masculine pronouns, right? Mm-hmm. He. And if you read the Bible, there's yeah. a reason for that. Like most of the, the pronouns referring to God in the Bible are going to be masculine. They're going to be yeah. he's and hymns, right? Yeah. And um, when I was in seminary, there was a big push in my seminary to use gender neutral language for God, um, that we recognize that God is neither male nor female, you know, Mm -hmm. with the exception of Jesus, very clearly masculine. Right. So um, we were encouraged to use gender neutral pronouns. And this was before they really Mm -hmm. became mainstream singular usage Mm -hmm. um so like they wasn't really like a thing when i was in seminary that we could use and like use it naturally yet right and so the way we kind of walked around that was we tried to not use pronouns at all at all sure felt like still feels it feels more natural to me now because i've been doing it for over a decade but like Mm -hmm. i remember at that time kind of going like i feel like god becomes less personable when we don't use pronouns at all um, but like, also I wasn't quite comfortable using feminine pronouns right. for God because I had never seen that modeled for me sure. when I was growing sure. up. Um, I have though recently seen a lot more usage with mainline Protestant pastors uh-huh. using, um, you know, clearly masculine pronouns for Jesus, but then exclusively using feminine pronouns for the Holy Spirit. Right. For that exact same reason of Ruah, spirit being feminine, um, lots of the, um, you know, like, uh, what is it in Proverbs, Lady Wisdom. Yeah, right, right. Again. That that is the Holy Spirit. That's, you know, Lady Mm -hmm. Wisdom is the Holy Spirit, clearly using feminine language. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
And that's something that like, I think is really cool. I had just haven't like been able to kind of, yeah, yeah. I have my own personal baggage with like sure. pronouns and God. Sure. So like, sure. it's something sure. that I think is so cool, but I haven't been able to like really do. Yeah. And it feels too like when the earlier generations of Christians uh, would say, talk about the spirit and use he, I don't think it was so much to say, we're saying that the Holy Spirit has a Y chromosome, but to avoid the idea that the spirit is like an it, like a force, you know, that like right. they're, and that the early church was trying to folk to like to hammer down. No, these are three persons. So just as much as we talk about God, the first person or God, the second person being persons and not like an it or the force or something like that. The spirit is in the same way a person. And yeah, so like when I read the language, you'll get sometimes in the New Testament epistles about the Holy Spirit and you'll say he, it's, it's, it's again, it's not that they were unaware that in Hebrew spirit is feminine or they're not aware that in the Greek of the New Testament spirit is neuter, but it's to avoid, we don't want to get the idea that the spirit's just like a force that there's really God, the father, God, the son, and then this it that we don't know what to do with. And yes. sometimes sloppy theology does that too. But so this, I, this, oh, go ahead. I think that one of the best examples of how language can evolve is mm -hmm. our most recent seeing they as a singular mm -hmm. like being gender neutral singular mm -hmm. like and i love that like i love that our language can evolve to like mm -hmm. change mm -hmm. this thing in our grammar that yeah. like without having to use it because sure. i think that it sure. is not yeah. it, it's not a good way to talk about a person right or right, right. god yeah like i don't and, think that's good and it's funny too not to spend all the time in ancient grammar although it's super fun but like to discover the bible was doing similar kinds of things when it came to talking about the incomprehensible mystery that is god like from the very very beginning genesis 1 we get the language of god's title in genesis 1 is elohim which is a plural form noun but it's meant as a singular and so it takes a singular verb and yet it looks if you are a hebrew speaker like a plural um and again it's just it's 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 this weird place where the the word for god suggests a, a majesty that's more than a oneness and yet it also is clearly singular because it's the one god who created rather than a whole pantheon of you know baal and ishtar and all those others but like our human beings have been doing this with language, adapting it to talk about things that we can't quite wrap our brains around from the beginning. So it's not like only in the 21st century did we start saying we could be creative like this. We've always been that and all of language is like that. But sometimes it's worth discovering, oh yeah, there's a lot of precedent for this after all. And we did it back in Hebrew. They figured out a way to do that in Greek. Maybe in English we can also. Yep. Maybe we should also say part of what makes the Holy Spirit uh both mysterious in a good way, but also trickier for us to wrap our brains around is in human Jesus, who Christians classically believe is also God. But like you can picture what a human being is. I Okay, I can picture a bearded person in Galilee. And even if we say the language of calling the first person in the Trinity, uh, God the Father, is a metaphor, and again, not about chromosomes, at least I can picture that. But spirit is by definition, a lot trickier. What am I supposed to picture? What What's that look like? And maybe that's part of the beauty of it is that like the spirit can be anywhere and everywhere, like life springs up anywhere and everywhere. But it's also harder for me to to see as a person rather than as an it. Or a bird. Yeah. Or, yeah, like, or, or, I have yeah. a really hard time picturing bird. the Holy Spirit as anything but a bird. Right. And right. But I also feel like that that's wrong 
to imagine the Holy Spirit as just a bird, like as just right. a pigeon, especially because like a pigeon dove, like yeah. whatever translation you're using of like, you know, the Holy Spirit yeah. descends like a dove. Yeah. Okay. So the Holy Spirit, is it a dove? Is it descending right. like a dove? Am I supposed to? Because I, I yeah. so in high school, I was privileged to get to go to Italy. And there's mm-hmm. a couple places where if you are walking around and you have food, mm-hmm. a whole <laughs> flock of pigeons and or doves are going to descend upon you, hoping for some of your food. Mm-hmm. And it's not fun to be have a flock of pigeons descending upon you because they yeah. land anywhere they please. Yeah. And if you don't give them food, they will poop on you on purpose. <laughs> right. And so like clearly that's clearly that's not what's meant when the biblical writers talk about the Holy Spirit being like descending like a dove on Jesus. But yeah, what do they mean? I hope not. <laughs> right. I hope right. that that's not what right. they mean. Right. But if you live in an area where doves and pigeons are mm-hmm. pretty common, you've probably had that experience. You know what that's like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. maybe that is what they meant. <laughs> the Holy right? Spirit descends upon you like a flock of birds. Yeah. Yeah. But like, again, that's all I can picture. But yeah. surely the Holy Spirit yeah. isn't in the shape of a dove. Right. Right. Any more than, than when we talk about using the language of God being like father, that we mean to say something about God's chromosomes, because my guess right. is God doesn't have chromosomes. I, maybe like in all these things, we're kind of dancing around the way that the spirit, at least in the biblical witness and the larger theological tradition, is involved in those moments of giving life, whether it's our ancestors in the Genesis story or, you know, descending on Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. Um, and you talked about it at Pentecost, giving gifts to us as yeah. the people of, of Jesus. Um, and like, I think wh- that is tremendously life-giving, being given those that. gifts. Like the gifts of the spirit are mm-hmm. not like... I'm going to give you a ball of yarn. It's not, I'm going to, you know, give you a casserole. It's, it's gifts in the sense of like skills and abilities and Mm -hmm. like passions. Yeah. So, and I think that those types of gifts are what make us uniquely us, like Mm -hmm. makes me uniquely me and makes you uniquely you, Um, you know, sure. Other people have the same gifts as me in the sense that like, uh, I know other knitters. I know mm-hmm. other people who do transitional ministry work. Um, all of those things are true. I even know other transitional pastors um, who knit. Mm-hmm. They have very similar gifts, but yeah. yet my gifts that God has given me, that the Holy Spirit has given me, are are mine. And yeah. um, you know, I've been given the gift of preaching. I've been given the gift of parenthood like Mm -hmm, and and it's mm -hmm. not like any of these things were like just like oh god snapped a finger and i was like instantly good at these things no they took time and work and energy to build up these gifts that god has given me but they are the things that make me me yeah i i I really appreciate the way you describe that as something that emerges over time in the in a sense it's like Part of what being human is, is that development thing, you know, that like when when we're born into the world and take that first breath, 
there are some things that are set we're going to keep doing the whole rest of our life you know heart's going to keep beating you know got the breathing thing down but other things are going to take more time to develop and that in some sense we feel more more fully alive when uh you learn to you know take your first steps or when you learn to walk or learn to speak or whatever other means of communication when you learn to sing or develop those other talents in some sense it's like well it's not like i was wasn't alive before this but man i'm alive in a whole new dimension there's a whole new way to it and you grow and progress and develop there that the 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 gifts you talk about as spiritual gifts have that same sense that it's not necessarily like with the snap of a finger I just I just came away from the baptismal font and all of a sudden now I can do five more things I couldn't do before. It could happen that way, less likely, but like that sense of that there are these uh, innate maybe capacities that are given to us that then, yeah, develop and are meant for the good of others too, right? Yeah, yeah, like it's, and I think that's a huge piece of spiritual gifts is that it's not just for you mm-hmm. and it's something that you use to do god's work in the world yeah. um it, and that's and that's one of those things where i like knitting i'm going to use knitting as an example mm-hmm. that knitting for me at different like it is a skill set that i have it's a passion that i have it's a way that i choose to relax and but the majority of the time i choose to use this gift for very personal selfish reasons it's because i want to like wear the thing that i am <laughs> making um but occasionally i do use this gift to keep somebody warm like mm-hmm. um i often will be knitting hats in meetings because i don't have to think about it anymore um and those hats are often donated mm-hmm. and so in that way i feel like this skill set mostly is used just for my personal enjoyment Mm -hmm. but occasionally i could argue that it's a spiritual gift that i've been given because i use it yeah to keep people's heads warm yeah um who might not otherwise have a hat um but like that's that that, that's a weird one for me because mostly i use it for selfish (laughs) reasons this reminds me of where part of our conversation went last time we talked about the gift of community and that community helps bring us to life. And that we said, it's not just only being in the same room as other people. That maybe is a start, but that by itself can still feel fake or artificial. But when there's a reason for us to be together and either my talent or my voice, if we're singing or my ability help contribute to why we're all here together. And that, that may be another piece of that spiritual gift thing that God gives us by the spirit different capacities that aren't just for me in my enjoyment it can be and can include me to be sure but also is for others and that when then i have the opportunity to use those gifts for the sake of others which sounds very first corinthians to me but like when when you have that ability to use them there's a sense of both you're honored as the person who gets to use your gift. Yeah, wow, I, I contributed. To go, yeah, that's great. But also others see the benefit and that they are lifted up in the same time. And to me, like that feels like that's part of the hallmark of how you know the Holy Spirit's been up to something that everybody gets lifted up by this. And that it's not simply one person is the star of the show and everybody else just has to clap for them. But that there's a sense of, yeah, my life is made more full and enriched because you shared your gift with me. But also when you get to share your gift, that there's a sense of, uh, honor for you and yet because these are all gifts the spirit gives it's not about any one of our egos but it's more like yeah how awesome god is that god gave you this ability and you this ability and that somehow we are all more fully alive for having been a part of it 
I, I also suspect that it like, so a lot of our gifts and abilities take a lot of time to develop. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's one of those great examples of how God is active in our lives is mm-hmm. that all of these things have fallen in place over the, who knows how many years so that we could be here right now at this moment using our gifts. Mm-hmm. Um, and an example that I used recently in a sermon um, last fall when the Phillies were in the World Series, because I serve right outside of Philadelphia. So like mm-hmm. everyone was really excited about the Phillies and that that was a testimony to all of the work that a lot of people did to get this current team where yeah. they were last fall. It yeah. wasn't just the players. It mm-hmm. wasn't just their current managers and coaches, but it was all of the coaches and parents and coaches who were in each individual player's life. Yeah. Back yeah. from when they were in Little League. Yeah. And it took all of them together to get this team to where they were last fall. Yeah. It wasn't just that team, but it was yeah. all of the people that helped support them. And I think that that's true for all of us yeah. is that, you know, it's take a musician, for example, um, that might be a spiritual gift to be able to play and lead music in worship. And that benefits lots of people, mm-hmm. but you can't, but I can't imagine that when that musician was six years old and first started playing the piano for a music teacher that at that moment they were like, oh, yes, this is going to be a spiritual gift. No, it's a six-year-old learning how to play Three Blind Mice. Yeah, 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 Like, yeah. not a whole lot of, like, nothing really feels super spiritual about that moment. But things are starting to work. Like, yeah. this is God guiding this person and that teacher and getting that kid interested in the piano through, you know, playing whatever pop song that the teacher managed to like get them to play and and like but like building that love of music and yeah the techniques like it it's a lot of work to get to that point of being able to finally go hey you know what i think that this might be a spiritual gift and i'm going to use it to do x y and z i i i'm thinking as you're describing that this may be an important difference uh between when we think about Jesus bringing people to life. When we had that episode at the beginning of our series, we told a lot of stories about, you know, out of the gospels, Jesus uh, cures a person of leprosy. Jesus calls Lazarus back to life. And it's basically a moment in time. And you can pretty quickly identify who was the guy who restored the person's sight. Ah, it was Jesus. Who was the guy who cured the leprosy? It was Jesus. But that part of the beauty of the Holy Spirit, not being bound to the one human lifetime of Jesus of Nazareth, is that the Spirit can be working behind the scenes in ways for generations, maybe for centuries, maybe over since the beginning of creation, but in ways where, just like you mentioned, it's not just at the moment of the payoff when we go, oh, that was, you know, here, you know, someone finally, you know, plays their song in church or the Phillies win or whatever, but like, a lot of things have had to be going in, in you know, behind the scenes that led to this moment in people who didn't even realize that all their efforts were being coordinated by the Spirit 
even even without their knowledge, even without them signing on, going, oh, I'm a part of the Holy Spirit's plan. Sometimes it's only later on that you can look back and see divine fingerprints on things. But that's part of what we mean, maybe, when we talk about the Spirit giving us life, that God reserves the right not just to be the central character in a Bible story, um, like uh, in, in Sunday school, but that God reserves the right to be this presence behind the scenes that's more than a force, but it doesn't need to be the the one who gets credit all the time you know the spirit is willing to work through yeah like you say the the music teacher who you know trots out hot cross buns or you know uh the the patient parent who sits through practices or whatever until years and years later the talent sort of finally comes to fruition and maybe even the person with that gift doesn't realize at the moment how many people for how many generations their work allowed them to be where they are but that that's an important piece of it i think yeah. So in in this moment, in this day, like, how would you help people to spot or recognize or look for the presence of the Spirit giving them life? Like, if it's not just tongues of fire on, on, on Pentecost, when and part of our work as pastors is, is helping people develop that faithful imagination. Where do you see God at work in your life? How do you help people to see where, where the Spirit is at work in their lives or in their world bringing life? That's a great question, Steve. I'm so glad you asked this question. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's so hard, right? Because we ask this question all the time, but I don't know if I have a very good, like, this is how you watch for the Holy Spirit. But it it, it is something that's good to like practice and to yeah. be intentional about of, um you know, God sightings, right? Where have you encountered right. God at work in the world? And uh, sometimes it feels awkward because sometimes especially when you think that you have spotted how god has acted like worked through you to help somebody else because mm -hmm. like recognizing that moment sometimes feels like you're patting yourself on the back right right right, right and right. like that feels super awkward and uncomfortable but like mm -hmm. don't we believe that god works through us right right yes. right but it's also like, I think it's easier and more comfortable for us to recognize, at least out loud to other people, how God has worked through others to help yeah. us. Yeah. We had this conversation um, every so often. We'll do a, a night we call pub theology where uh, we invite folks to gather at the local uh, microbrewery. And so the conversation uh, here in Eastertide was about like, where have you seen God at work in your life and in your world? Sort of like riffing off the Emmaus story. You know, where have you had this unexpected presence? And and how do you how do you know? How do you what's the difference between just you had a, a, a fun, warm feeling and there is the Holy Spirit. Right. And we talked about um, that while everybody seemed with at least a little bit of invitation, felt like they had a story. And sometimes it was the amazing coincidence or the nick in the nick of times, you know, someone was saved or the miraculous medical story. But then we got around to talking about like how somebody tells a story and you're a part of their story and you brought the presence of God into their lives and you may not realize it, but like how, how much, how, how, it's it's sometimes hard for especially for church folk because it can sound like an ego trip or you're patting yourself on the back but to allow at least the possibility that as much as maybe you feel like god showed up in your life in x or y or z moment somebody else probably tells a story about how you were the face of christ for them or you were the one through whom the spirit worked and to allow that possibility um that that that, that i think i think that's a a, a 
exactly where the conversation needs to go about you know, the, the, the Spirit continues to work and give life in the world, not just, it stopped on Pentecost Sunday, now we're done. <laughs> and sometimes we do that. And I think it's also important to recognize not only the big moments, the really obvious moments, right? Pentecost, big moment, yeah. the Holy Spirit <laughs> descended upon a group of disciples in a very public setting, right? right. That's huge. That's big. God is obviously at work. Um, I think it's also important, but probably way more challenging to recognize when God is at work in the ordinary moments. Yeah, yeah. Because like, yeah. sometimes that feels like you're like, oh, it's such a stretch, right? To like yeah. lift up yeah. this this quick story about how my neighbor mowed my front yard and that like really, like really helped me out this yeah. week. But um because that's like like such a small thing um yeah that's sometimes more challenging in a way this this makes me think of where we started the conversation about the spirit as life giver when you talked about the imagery of a human being taking their first breath that in some ways yeah that's the holy spirit bringing them to life but on the other hand like that's also what human babies do that's what any baby does is they take a breath and like maybe it's not either or but maybe in the end like it's possible to say like we say about jesus this is a very human moment and also a moment where the divine touches us and like it's possible to say in ordinary human moments where the person doesn't even realize they're being an instrument of the very spirit of god they're just doing a human thing you know helping their neighbor out and yet yep the holy spirit reserves the right to be at work almost in like an undercover way and i don't i don't want to reduce the holy spirit to being like god's undercover agent but like in a sense like there's a sense of when jesus is the center of a story jesus is clearly the hero of that story uh when you know god speaks from the mountaintop in the old testament yep there's god but the holy spirit seems to have this ability of it's okay if I'm working behind the scenes and I don't need to be getting the credit or the ego at the end. Or the Holy Spirit is perfectly willing to take all of those points if we so want to give them to her. I suppose. (laughs) So for me, recognizing the spirit at work, either in my own life, the life of my church or my members, my parishioners is just those those out of the ordinary moments. And I, I know, Sarah, you talked about, you know, sometimes they are very ordinary moments, like having your neighbor cut your grass for you because you just haven't had the time. And that's, um, but for me, a lot of times the spirit tends to show up in ways that are completely unexpected um, or in ways that I was never thinking. Like, I, you know, I mm. might be dealing with the decision or something and thinking one way and then I, I get the sense that God has directed me in another way. And I'm like, okay, maybe that's the spirit saying, you know, mm-hmm. um, and you have to test those, you know, test those against scripture and, and pray about them. And, um, but yeah, this, I don't know. I, I, I see how the spirit works. It's hard for me to think of things. I'm something off the top of my head. Sure. Um, you know, where I can just pinpoint like, yes, this was the spirit. Yeah. Um, working or speaking in and through me or to to somebody else. Um, oh, I guess I, I do have one. A couple of weeks ago, I was preaching on the Good Shepherd passage out of John 10 and shared a story from seminary in which I did an exercise and a study on that in a class and had my colleague, my fellow students do an exercise with Psalm 23 and, and draw what they felt like abundant life was, connecting John 10, 10 to yeah. Psalm 23. And I was in the midst of a time when God, when I was very angry with God, a friend of mine had passed away um, somewhat unexpectedly. She had cancer, but we didn't think that 
she was that bad off. And I was angry with God about that. And um, as I'm describing my drawings to my uh, fellow students, I said, you know, he he prepared the table for us in the presence of our enemies. And I had drawn a communion table. And I said, the enemy, my enemy is death and he's been defeated. And those were not words that I expected to say. Hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But they came out of my mouth and I, I feel like that was the spirit using me to speak to me. Mm-hmm. And who knows, maybe to everybody else there too. But I, I yeah. you know, it was definitely a moment like those weren't my words. Yeah, They came out of my mouth. Those weren't my words. So that's a helpful example of like, it is in in the one sense ordinary in that none of those things violated the rules of physics. It wasn't like water into wine. You can't explain Mm -hmm. it. And yet clearly something extraordinary happened through these ordinary kinds of means. And like, and maybe that's, that's a common thread to all this is that the spirit reserves the right to work in ways that look ordinary. And the spirit reserves Mm -hmm. the right to do the full on spectacle showstopper with tongues of fire and descending like a dove and the wind and all that kind of thing. Um, maybe that other piece that you named about when you talked about this could be a whole separate conversation, uh, testing the spirits or like there's discerning. It's not just like any random idea that pops in your head is automatically the Holy Spirit, but like that what the spirit does is going to be maybe in character with the love we need in Jesus. Maybe like, and I don't know a better way to Mm -hmm. say it, but like, it doesn't mean the spirit only duplicates Bible stories. So like, nope, it's only, uh, only healings of leprosy are the Holy Spirit because that's what happened. That's what Jesus did. But, but like, no, but like things that look like or fit like the love we know in Mm -hmm. Jesus, again, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be limited to only things from the gospel stories, but that, yeah, this fits with the character of the God we know. That may be a, a way you help discern spirit versus random idea. Absolutely. Well, like uh, Sarah, you said at the beginning, we're not saying these are the only places in the universe that give life, but we've tried to take a smattering, a, a uh, appetizer sampler plate, if you will, of the kinds of places that might bring us to life. Uh, so we hope you'll join us for new conversations and a new series starting next time here on Crazy Faith Talk. See y'all.